Pray. Father, uh, today as we uh, study your word, Lord, and as we, we kind of shift as we look at things, and Lord, we hit an area of scripture that's uh, uh, either overstudied by some or never studied by others, and a place where uh, people come and want to argue and fight and bicker, and Lord, I definitely know that's not why it's there. So I pray today as we look and begin this study that, Lord, you would work in our hearts individually and corporately, that we would have a desire to hear what you're saying, not a desire to, to hear what we think or, or project our own ideas, but we would want to just hear from you and hear your heart as you speak to a group of guys that simply ask a question. And so, Lord, bless this time and open up our hearts, open up our minds and God, you be glorified in it. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, as we begin here, this, this study in the next few weeks is going to be over the, what, what theologians call eschatology, end times. Jesus is going to talk about that because of a question he's asked. And hey, it can get quite, it can get quite in depth. And I think sometimes way too in-depth for what's going on. And uh, I hope that when we're done with this, we'll have a better understanding. Here's what I, I, I kind of know. We're not going to have a complete understanding of this, these two chapters. Because if we did, there wouldn't be a reason for people to argue. I think we can come to our opinions and some of the things. But some of it we're going to like, eh, I'm not so sure about that. And you know what? That's okay. That's all right. Here's what I know. The end is going to come no matter what we believe. So, you know, don't get too, too uptight thinking, well, if I believe wrong, it'll never happen. So it's going to be okay no matter what you believe. But I want us to think about this because I think this is the most important. Jesus is hanging now with 12 guys. Remember, he was up in the temple area. He had the questions asked him. Then he asked questions. And then he just kind of what I call unloaded on the Pharisees and let them know exactly where they're at, exactly what was going on. And then as he finished that up, he said, your house is going to be left to you desolate, and you will not see me again until I come, until I, when I come back, and you say, blessed is he who uh, comes in the name of the Lord. He left off there. Now these 12 guys that are with him, ask him a question. And for two chapters, think about this, two chapters, Jesus is answering that question. It was kind of almost, in some ways, a simple question, but he takes two chapters to answer it. So this is one long answer. I think it would be kind of fun to just read the question and read the answer and go home. But I do think it does need some explaining and some talking about. Now, something else. These 12 guys were not theologians. They were not Bible scholars. They were not people who spent eons of time trying to figure out dates and trying to figure things out. They were just 12 ordinary guys. Keep that in mind, 12 ordinary guys asking this one they're following, who by the way, they were pretty convinced he was the Messiah, asking him a question and now he's gonna answer that. I, I, kinda, I kinda think if we approach it from that attitude and that heart, it will begin to resolve a lot of things for us. Oh, by the way, there were 12 ordinary Jewish guys. Don't forget that. Some people say they were in the church. They were not in the church. The church wasn't around yet. 
There were some Jewish guys from Galilee, mostly, who were following Jesus, and they asked him a question. Now, having said that, it's not like they didn't have a belief system about end times. I, I believe, you know, quote, all of us have some kind of belief system, but the Jews, the Jews did have, you know, a pretty organized thought on how the end was gonna come. Remember, they're looking for the Messiah, right? That's what Christ, in, you know, in the Greek it's Christ, and, and uh, in, in the Hebrew it would be Messiah. That's who they're looking for. That's what their whole world evolved around. So out of some of the writings, I took nine points that they would look for at the end. The, uh, and again, kind of keep this in mind and, and uh, think about this. Number one, they believed that the Messiah, the coming of the Messiah, when he came, it would be preceded by a whole bunch of turmoil and tribulation and nations fighting against each other and, and, and leaders uh, coming against each other and a whole bunch of anxiety going on. Now, I think they think they've already experienced that. Number two, in the midst of all of that would appear an Elijah-like figure. Now, I want us to think about that for a moment, a whole bunch of turmoil, things going on, and in the midst of that, an Elijah-type figure would show up. Could that be John the Baptist? Hey, he was very Elijah type, wasn't he? And he was out eating bugs and, and sucking on honey and telling people they needed to repent. So, so think about their minds. Now are you kind of beginning to understand why they were so convinced that Jesus was the Messiah? And then he comes along and does miracles. So that's number two. Number three, then the Messiah would appear, at which time he would establish his kingdom age of glory and would vindicate his people. So that's what they're hoping is gonna happen. Now, some other things along those lines. It said after that, there would be nations who come together, make an alliance, and they come against the Messiah, and then he's going to destroy those, much like what we read about uh, in, in Revelation. And then Jerusalem would be restored, and, and the city would be completely new, whether it's coming from heaven or not. The Jews would be regathered, and the Messiah's Israel or Jerusalem would become the center of, of the world. So you kind of get, that's what these guys were looking for. That was their mindset. And he's just said, that he just said, hey, that temple is gonna be desolate. And you won't see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. What did Jesus, when Jesus told him that at the end of chapter 23, when he said, you're not gonna see me again until you say that, what was he saying? He says, you're not gonna see me again until the Messiah comes. He made that very clear. Now, in their minds, they're not understanding there's a first coming and a second coming. We have a little different viewpoint, right? We know Jesus came once, and we know he's going to come again. Now, here's what I believe. If he came once in fulfillment of prophecy, and you can study, by the way, people who hate prophecy, you need to know something. One-fourth of the Bible is prophetic. So if you hate prophecy, you're leaving a lot of Bible out. But Jesus fulfilled in his first coming over 300 different prophecies. That's a lot. And he fulfilled them exactly the way they said they would be fulfilled. So I gotta believe his second coming is gonna be the same. He's gonna fulfill prophecy exactly. It's not, you can't spiritualize. Hey, in his first coming, none of the prophecies were spiritualized. He physically 
fulfilled them and he's physically going to so getting into that and we'll talk more about that as we go along but listen these guys are these guys are asking that question now for homework so you can get a little bit of background I gave you some things you might want to read here you might want to read Isaiah 9 and, and 11 Jeremiah chapter 23 Zechariah chapter 14 all of the book of Daniel and then and then Revelation would be New Testament, not Old Testament for them. But if you just read those, those first few, and then, and then you just got to do Revelation just to get background for what's going on, you'll have a better understanding. And this is only partial homework. So get these written down. I'll give you some more as we go along so you can kind of keep up what's happening. So in verse 1, it says, Then Jesus went out, left the temple area, and departed from the temple, and his disciples came up to show him the buildings of the temple. So kind of get the idea, and those of us who have been to Israel, you're kind of coming out, and maybe you're on the southern steps, or you're coming out there by the eastern gate, and man, these guys are looking back, and they're seeing this magnificent temple. And they're blown away. They're looking at it and they're going, Jesus, do you see that? It says, it says they're saying, look at the buildings. Mark says, they're saying, look at the stones. Look at, what's, look at what's there. Look at that wonder. Hey, it was, it was amazing. Herod took a peak, a mountaintop peak, and he leveled it and made a 40-acre platform to build the temple and everything on. The huge retaining stones, some of which are there today, some of them are 40 feet long, 12 and a half feet thick and 12 and a half feet high. They weigh over 100 tons. And some of us have seen those stones and you look at them and, hey, can you imagine, can you imagine you're a guy from Galilee? And hey, I don't think these guys, I know Jews, were, the men were supposed to go once a year. I don't think they all went once a year. I don't think you could, number one, afford it. I don't think, number two, your body could take walking to Jerusalem once a year from Galilee. It would be a hard, hard uh, 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 trip to do. So listen, maybe this was their first time there. Maybe their second time. But they're amazed and they're going, Jesus, look at that. And why are they saying that? Because he just said your house is going to be left to you desolate. And I think in their minds they're going, why don't you turn around and look? How is that going to happen? Look at what we're looking at. And, and again, the white stone that they would use, that, that Jerusalem limestone would be shining and, and uh, Herod had coated and, and, and overlaid a lot of it with gold. Hey, it had to be magnificent. So they're telling him to look at it. And then, and then verse two, then Jesus said to them, do you see, do you not see all these things? Assuredly, I say to you, not one stone shall be left here upon another that shall not be thrown down. I think at that point, the disciples' minds, the apostles went, <laughs> like, wow, seriously? You're telling us this is gonna be completely destroyed? And it was. 70 AD. Again, those of us who have been to Israel, 
We've seen where some of the stones came off and they, they fell. And, you know, when I first went to Israel, my first trip to Israel was in 1994. And when we went in 1994, and, and those of you who have been with us, in 1994, when we went to that area where the southern steps are and where, where those stones are laid out, we walked through weeds to get there. No one was going there. Nobody cared about that. And you would go, and there'd be piles of, of these big stones, I mean, huge, just laying there and rubble. And, and I think it looked better then than it does now. They kind of cleaned it all up and arranged some of the stones. And I'm thinking, why didn't you just leave it the way it was? And hey, it's, and you look at some of them and you go, how on earth did that come off of there all the way down here? Now, some of the historians, and I think Josephus, although some people say he wrote, but I've never found it in his writings, that he wrote that said, you know, when a Roman came, when, when Titus came and captured Jerusalem, he told his soldiers to leave the temple alone. And then one of them went in there, knocked over a lamp or something, started a fire, or someone threw a torch stand and started a fire. And the fire began to burn the temple, the wood that was there. And all of the gold began to melt and go between the stones. And the soldiers wanted to get the gold, so they threw the stones over the edge to get to the gold. Now, I've seen those stones. You're going to be one buff dude if you're going to throw that stone over the edge. You're going to be one honking buff dude. Even two of you. Even four of you. They're huge, you're not gonna, and I hear that and I think, that just does not make sense. Now, because I'm a potter, something that I know is if you take clay and it looks like it's dry, it feels like it's dry, but you put it in a kiln and it still has any moisture at all in it and you fire up that kiln, guess what happens to that clay? What do you think limestone, if it's absorbed moisture, which it does, limestone's very porous, you light a fire under it, what's limestone gonna do? And go over the edge. I believe that's what happened. Maybe they scraped up the gold afterwards. But hey, all of that became desolate. So Jesus said, this is what's gonna happen, you guys. You need to know that's what's gonna happen. So as they're going across now, now I love this part. In verse three it says, now as he sat on the Mount of Olives. Now, now just again, get, you know, use your imagination. And again, those who have been there, man, you go across that Kidron Valley and you're sitting there and there's olive trees and stuff around and you're sitting there and you're looking back at that marvelous view. And it had to be, listen, man, it had to be one exciting time for them. But now they're confused. And they're thinking, man, things are not adding up here. What you're saying doesn't add up with our theology. Hey, if what Jesus is saying doesn't add up with your theology, change your theology. So they're, they're trying to process that and they're trying to get it together and they're looking at that and, and get the picture of this. This is Jesus on a hillside, sitting down, hanging out with a group of guys, talking to them. He's not giving some lecture in some grand hall teaching theology. I think it's important that we approach it that way. I believe, listen, I believe it's sort of simple and it's gotta be simple for me to understand it because I'm kind of a simple guy. And if we make it all complex, we get all messed up. So the guys are there sitting with him, and here's what they did. It says, they went on the Mount of Olives, and then the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us, when will these things be? What will be the sign of your coming and the end of your age? Now, I believe they're asking three questions in one. 
But, you know, we can treat it as one long question because Jesus, Jesus doesn't say, okay, to answer this question, here's this part. To answer that question, here's that part. He just begins answering. So they ask him, listen, maybe we can say maybe a three-part question, however we want to do it, but they lay it out. Now, some say he didn't answer the very first part. I think he does, but I don't think it's point blank. But I think it's there. So they're saying, now when they say, when will these things be? I believe they're asking, when is all those stones gonna come down and not one left on another? Now it would have been easy for him to say, in about 40 years. But he doesn't say that. And he doesn't, I don't think, say it covertly. I think it's, I think it's listen, I think there's some things we don't need to know that God knows. If God told us everything he knew about things, we would be freaking out. But here's what I get out of as Jesus begins to answer. Everything that happens is under God's control. And we need to understand that. So they go, hey, what's this happening? And let, we, could, we could verbalize it this way. Jesus, you just told us some really, really crazy stuff. Now can you explain that? because we're a little freaked out. And here's what I know, they didn't understand 24 and 25. How do I know that? Because after he rose from the dead, what did they say? Are you here to establish the kingdom? They're still like on that, right? So if we don't get a great and perfect understanding, it's okay, chill out. Don't get so uptight and, and think that you gotta have every single answer and, and you know dot every I and cross every T. So verse four, Jesus answered and said to them, and he's gonna be answering them till the end of, verse, of chapter 25. Take heed that no one deceives you for many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ and will deceive many. Listen, the first thing Jesus says, think about this, when are these things gonna happen? And what will be the sign, right? Or what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? That's what they ask. What's the very first thing he tells them? Be careful, be careful. I think he's kind of telling them this, be careful because you're treading in a place where man, everybody wants a date Everybody wants a time frame. Everybody wants a calendar. And you need to be careful because there's gonna be plenty of people out there who will give you dates and calendars and time frames and you need to be careful. Do not be deceived. Watch out. I find that kind of fascinating that that's the first part of his answer. Hey, and it wasn't too many years after that when one came, uh, his name was uh, uh, Simon Barkova. He came in 132 A.D., claiming to be the Messiah. 500,000 Jews were slaughtered because of him. What did Jesus say here? Be careful. Don't listen to everybody. People are gonna come. How many of you were saved in the early 80s and you remember in the early 80s there was that full page ad in, the, in many papers around the United States that the Christ is here now. And it was Benjamin Cram claiming to be the Christ. Some are nodding your heads. Some of you have blank looks. You're gonna have to Google it. It was insane, man. Papers around the nation. The Christ is here now. 
and that guy claiming it. And, and you know, it goes on and on, right? There's a, the, some of the people from the Eastern thought the Maharaji came and he packed out the Astrodome. Bhagwan came and, and he wanted everybody to achieve Christ consciousness. And then along comes Shirley MacLaine. <laughs> and all of us are God. And Jesus says, listen, be careful. He goes, they're gonna come. They're gonna come in my name and they're gonna deceive many and you need to take heed. Hey, if they needed to take heed, we need to take heeder, right? We need to watch out, be careful. Watch who you read, watch what's going on. Hey, I remember, I remember 88 reasons why Jesus is coming in 1988. Any of you around then? It was the craziest, is a little red book, 88 Reasons Why Jesus is Coming in 1988. In 1989, he wrote 89 Reasons Why Jesus is Coming in 1989. Because the last one was because he didn't come in 88. And you can just keep going with that book. You can publish a new one every year. I mean, come on. And Jesus says, watch out for these guys. Watch out, be careful. Then he lets them know something. Verse six, and you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. And see that you are not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. Here's what he's saying, man. These things are going to happen, but it's not the end yet. Nation is going to rise up against nation, kingdoms against kingdoms. He's saying, listen, man, there's going to be fighting. There's going to be infighting. When he talks about nations and then kingdoms, why does he separate the two? Because he's talking about fightings within nations, ethnic groups coming against each other. And he says, you're going to hear of it. Hey, we hear of it all of the time, don't we? Someone has said there's not been a day of peace on earth since World War II. That there's fighting somewhere, something going on, some kind of crazy. And, and man, here's what Jesus said. You're going to hear that. And I love this. Don't get all freaked out. Now, he's telling these guys particularly, and I think particularly Jews, my opinion, don't get freaked out. Now, here's what's interesting. He's not telling them they're going to be in war. He says, you're going to hear of wars and rumors of wars. Watch out. But don't be troubled. Don't be troubled. And in some ways, listen, you and I need to know something. Jesus has got this thing. Even as crazy as it gets and as nuts, nutty, nutty as it gets, hey, I look at things and I look at sometimes some of the chaos in the world and people coming against each other and things going on, and I don't like it any more than the next person. But I got to think, wait, my God's in control. He knows exactly what's going on. And I don't have to get all troubled about it. Oh, and then, and then he says, in the middle of verse seven, and there will be famine and pestilences and earthquakes in various places. All of these are, are the beginning of sorrows or some of your translations might say the beginning of birth pains. Now, I guess there's pre-labor and then real labor. I don't know. It's what people tell me of the other sex. But do you hear what he's saying? All of these things, listen, they're coming, but that's not it. 
Don't start focusing on those things. Don't start looking at those things and start setting dates and start doing things. Be careful. Don't be troubled. Don't get all uptight. All of these, all of these are just the beginning of what's going on. So here's what I'm thinking, man. We got to be getting close because it keeps getting more intense, more intense, more intense. Now, I think when he's talking about earthquakes and, and, and different things, I think he's talking about frequency and intensity of these things happening. And he says, hey, they're going to happen. And he goes, they're going to they're come. But these are just the beginnings and famines and pestilence. All of that goes along with earthquakes. And it's happening around the world. Now, I think part of what's going on in our generation is we get communication instantly. And we get fed things instantly. I'm not so sure they're more frequent or we're just getting the news quicker. And we're hearing it boom like that, right? Something happens halfway around the world and two nanoseconds later, you know, it's all over the internet and people are reading about it and people are talking about it. So listen, Jesus says, hey, this is just the beginning and you need to know that. Was it Churchill? Did Churchill say this isn't the, the, uh, the end and this isn't even the, end, uh, the beginning of the end? But he said, this is the end of the beginning, and I think that's what Jesus is saying. Hey, pay attention, look at these things, but don't get caught up in them. In other words, hey, if we hear about five earthquakes next week, don't go start getting a trampoline and start rapture practice. You know, just chill out a little bit and don't, don't get all uptight about these things, right? They're the beginning. Then, verse nine, they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. Well, that's a real encouraging little shot in the arm, isn't it? I, mean, I read that and I'm thinking, I'm one of the 12 sitting on the side. Here's what he just told those guys. They're gonna kill you. Uh, I didn't sign up for that. Like, I'm all about the Messiah. You're supposed to conquer and rule and reign, and I want to be by your side. I didn't, death? I didn't sign up for that. And Jesus just said, hey, it's going to get tough, and it's going to get hard. Now, I don't think he was saying just for those 12. It's interesting. People will read this, and they say, listen, it's singular pronoun, you, and so he's just talking to them because they're trying to build a, a certain end times theology and they go it's a singular pronoun you have you read Isaiah there's many places in Isaiah that is a singular pronoun you and he's not even close to speaking to that generation he's speaking millenniums later but he uses that same thing why because God has them speak as though everything is now so don't build your whole theology on something like that. I don't think he was talking just to the 12. I don't think he was talking just to the generation they were gonna serve. I think he's telling us on down the line, it's gonna get tougher and tougher and tougher, and people are not gonna like you simply because you're a Christian. And it's, kind of getting, it's sort of getting that way even in our country, isn't it? Hey, you can be anything, you can do anything, you can do like the weirdest, most bizarre thing in the world, and you're okay. But if you go, hey, you know what, I love Jesus. Oh, you're a horrible person. I'm thinking, why, why, why are these tolerant people so intolerant of Christians? 
Got to ask the question. And hey, part of the answer is right here. It's going to get worse and worse and worse and worse. And hey, he's saying that's what's going to happen. And here's what's going to happen because of that, verse 10. And many, then many will be offended and will betray one another and will hate one another. Here's what he's talking about. Here's what I believe he's talking about. When it gets costly to follow Jesus, there's going to be a lot of, quote, Jesus followers who quit following. You see, churches in America, mega churches, etc., a lot of them are built on excitement, on everything being joyous, on everybody being happy. And I'm not saying they're all bad. I'm not trying to paint with a broad brush. But listen, man, our Christianity in America is pretty stinking wide and very, very narrow. We need to be deep, saints. That's why here we, we encourage you, read your Bibles every year. Get in the Word. Get ready. And I don't believe, listen, I don't believe true Christians are going to fall away. I believe if you're born again, you're born again. But there's a whole bunch of people that are pretend Christians. We call them posers. Well, not we, the staff. I don't want you to think that said that and some people are going, you guys talk about us that way? No. I'm talking about in our culture, we call people who are pretending to be something, they're not posers. Had to define that. Hey, they're posing, they're playing. And when it gets tough, they're gonna turn on us. They're gonna come against us, the very ones that we thought were brothers and sisters. And he goes, hey man, that's the cost. And then he says, and verse 11, what else is going to cause all of this, these people like walking away? He says, listen, there are many false prophets who will rise up and deceive many. Hey man, some of the teaching out in America today is horrid. And what bothers me the most is it's so available to everybody and some people have zero discernment. And they just listen, and, and they're going to take in a little bit of this and a little bit of that and put it in here and put it in here, and then stick a little blender in their heart and go, and then they go, this is my theology, and you have nothing. And he goes, man, there's many, listen, there's many who are going to lead people, and they're going to say things, and I, I think there's a ton of Christians that will believe anything that comes from somebody up front, and they just say, and they're going to believe it. Hey, you guys, you need to be Bereans. You need to be digging in your Bible. You need to be checking me out and anybody else in this pulpit. Find out if it's true. If it's not true, hey, if, if I misspeak or just blatantly say something that's not true, come and tell me. I don't think that's true, Pastor Pat. I won't yell at you. Well, I might. <laughs> Depends. Catch me on a good day. No, but I want, listen, we should be checking things out. We shouldn't just believe everything. And he says, hey, these false teachers are going to come. And then lastly, listen, lastly, sin is going to become so acceptable. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. Hey, things are going to change in a moral area in the church so radically. And listen, I think people, you know, I think people from 20 years ago thinks it's changed today. Like 20 years ago, they would think that I was some kind of strange heretic because I don't have a coat and a tie and, and suits, and, right? Because And some of you may think that anyway. But, uh, you know, so I get that. I understand cultural, but I'm talking about, listen, I'm talking about vile things going on 
in the name of Jesus. And people will say this, hey, there's no condemnation in Christ, bro. Really? That verse doesn't mean what you think that verse means, and you're misusing that verse. We should be able to call each other out anytime. And again, I think it should be done with a right heart and a heart of restoration, not a heart of calling someone out. But he says, man, lawlessness, it's gonna go crazy. Hey, for homework, again, put down 2 Timothy and just read, you can read the whole book, but you can just read chapter three if you want. And Timothy talks about this very same thing. Lawlessness is gonna go, and a heart of many are gonna grow cold and they're gonna kinda turn away. And then verse 13 is kinda, to me, an encourager. Verse 13 says, but he who endures to the end shall be saved. Now, you need to know something Jesus isn't saying you gotta fight and you gotta do this so that you're saved if you're saved you're saved what is he saying he's saying those who are saved will endure to the end and that's going to prove their salvation you make it to the end it's going to prove your salvation and and some of us need that proved to ourselves so he's not saying you got to do this and buck up and you know pull yourself up by your bootstraps and endure to the end He's going, no, you know what? You need to trust Jesus and you need to hang on to him. I'm finding in our world, I need more of Jesus than I've ever had before. And I, you know, you do things. I was reading a whole article just the other day that someone was really come down upon because they opened a door for a woman. How dare you? Why would you do that? And here's what's implied in that. They think that the person who opened the door for the woman thought the woman was so stupid she couldn't open a door. Why was the person opening the door for a woman? To be polite, to do the right thing. It's not because, listen, if I open a door for my wife, it's not that I think the door handle's so complicated that my wife can't figure it out. I don't sit there and go, well, she'll never get in this car. Let me help her out. Why do I open the door for her? Because I love her, and I want to, listen, I want to serve her. Well, that's a little chauvinistic. Why is it chauvinistic? Hey, all of that, listen, it's going down. It's crazy out there. And in the midst of that, here's what I know. I need more of Jesus so I don't explode. So listen, he's saying, hey, if you endure to the end, sometimes I think I'm not going to make it to the end because I'm going to explode in this thing. But he who endures, Jesus is giving them hope. He's giving us hope. And we can endure through him. And then we're going to wrap this up with this. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations. Then the end will come. So many, many places, U.S. Center for World Missions, that whole 640 window or 1040 window, all of that going down. And I don't know how many of you are, are doing that. It's kind of faded away now, but they're still functioning. Hey, they teach that our obligation in order for Jesus to come back, we have to preach the gospel to the whole world. Well, in some ways, we're able to do that better now than ever with all the technology we have and everything going on. It amazes me, even in some very rural, small areas, they have cell phones, and they even have smartphones. So that's kind of interesting, but hey, he's not telling you and I. Now, I think we do have a responsibility, and I, I'm careful in this because I don't want some of us to not do what God is calling us to do and thinking, hey, you know what? Hey, you know, Pastor Pat said it didn't matter if we preach to the whole world, so let's chill. That's not what I'm saying. 
but my Bible tells me the gospel will reach the entire planet. In Revelation chapter seven, it tells me there's gonna be 144,000 Jews that are evangelists going out into the world. And then in Revelation chapter 14, it tells me this, there's an angel who comes and proclaims the gospel to the entire world. So I know it's gonna happen. Jesus said it's gonna happen. I know it's gonna happen. But listen, I don't think you, you definitely do not need to go on a mission field if you're thinking you need to fulfill that. Because guilt motivating you will only last so long. You need to go on a mission field because God has called you on a mission field and because you have a burden to do that. Now, having said that, I, I gotta say something because it really bothers me in the modern church today. People think if they go on a two-week mission trip, they're a missionary. You're not a missionary if you go on a two-week mission trip. You just went on a two-week mission trip. You kind of got your toes wet. And I think that's a good way to find out if you're called to that and called to cross-cultural ministry. That's why we do a trip to Mexico. That's why we do a trip to Cuba. That's why we do these things to give people an opportunity to see if they're called. But that doesn't make you a missionary. That makes you someone who went on a two-week trip. But you find out. But you know what? I think there's a lot of people that God is calling that are not listening. We need to listen if he's calling. We need to go if he's calling. And I know, listen, I know there's a lot of obstacles, man, and, and God starts calling and tugging on your heart, and you can come up with a bazillion excuses, or you can follow. So I'm not putting down, definitely not putting down reaching the world. That's been one of my goals forever. When I first, when God first impressed on my heart, to go into the pastoral ministry. I was in Guadalajara, Mexico at a missions conference. And at that conference, that conference was one my friends and those discipling took me to and they were hoping I would make the choice at that conference to go into full-time missionary work. And I was gonna take Gaynell up in the mountains of Chihuahua and we were gonna live in a little rock hut and be happy forever. She wasn't real sure about that. But that was, listen, that was my mind. That was my heart. And I'm at that missions conference, and God changed everything. And here's what I remember he spoke to my heart. He says, Pat, you can do that because I know that's on your heart. And maybe even reach most of the Tarahumara Indians. It would be a good thing. Or you can follow me and reach the whole world. And he gave me that because, you know what? By us being a church, sending people out, we're able to have a global ministry rather than just me in one spot. And I believe that with all my heart. So yeah, I think we should reach the world. I think it would be great. I think it would be great if we could reach the world. But Jesus is not held back because someone's not preaching to some ethnic group tucked away someplace that somebody's never heard of and they, you know, no one's gotten there yet and Jesus is going, man, I really want to come back but I can't come back and get the church. Trust me, that's not holding him back and we can't tie up Jesus that way. So now we have a foundation. Now we're going to dig in deeper and go through some things. We're going to talk about some of the eschatology that we believe here and we'll, we'll discuss it. We'll look through it and we'll 
Try to keep in mind simple guys asking a simple question and Jesus giving a simple answer, not some complex eschatological, how does that sound for a big word, right? Complex eschatological treatise to these guys. No, he's just talking to guys and keep it that way. Let's stand up and pray.